With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to the latest edition of The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Bruce Feldman, joined as always by my colleague, Stuart Mandel. All right, Stu, we are now pleased to be joined by our guest, our buddy Max Olson, who has been all over conference realignment. Um, Before we get to that, I do want to throw something at you guys. It's just a, I don't know, as we're taping this, it's Monday morning. The brackets are out, supposedly, um, for the, the middle of March Madness. It dawned on me as I woke up this morning. So on Sunday, my football, my little football team had a game. We had a bunch of stuff going on. I feel like I was the only person in America who didn't partake in one of these two things. I did not pay one bit of lick to the Oscars last night. And I actually haven't looked at a bracket yet, which is crazy to me, considering that's I would never have thought I would have been that person 10, 15 years ago. How crazy does that sound to you guys? Yeah, I was I was eager to ask you guys what you thought of everything everywhere all at once when you saw it in the last year. Okay, thank you for bringing that up, Max. I actually saw it a few weeks ago. Hey, and I'm glad I did, right? Because I ended up winning every single award. Bruce, I watched the selection show and filled it out in real time as I always do. Hmm. Oscars, we didn't watch live; we we DVR'd it. But it was weird as heck, man. I, I. I could not follow what the heck was going on during that movie. Now, with a little bit of distance, I'm like, it was very creative. You know, it's unlike anything you'll see. So I get why it would be, you know, very um, uh, get a lot of awards. Right. But I'm curious what you think. I, I can't imagine. I, I don't buy if you told me you watched that movie and understood it in real time. I don't believe it. I know my guy Bruce is a big fan of uh, multiverse storytelling uh, on the on the big stage. What do you think, Bruce? I am not exaggerating. I have honestly no idea what you guys are talking about. (laughs) (laughs) We're talking about the movie that won Best Picture and pretty much every other award. Now, there have been years where that movie was that weird, weird movie with the um, about water, uh, shape of water. Yeah, Yeah. didn't know what it was. Hadn't never seen it. There's definitely years like that. But I did see this one. Uh, I saw two Best Picture nominees, that one and Top Gun. I mean, and Top Gun, I mean, as far as movie theater experiences go, A+. plus. Yeah. Uh, I think no, I saw I six was really... of them this year. Um, I think my favorite yeah, was Tar of all of them. But I used to be. When I was younger, um, in my 20s, we could just go to the Alamo Draft House all the time in Austin. Ever since between the combination of COVID and having a kid, I just cannot get out to the theaters at all. Yeah. Once you have a kid... In my, you know, my once we like we used to go to movies all the time. Once you have a kid, that's like a twice a year thing. I guess, randomly, uh, yeah. yeah. Speaking of movies, and so on Friday, my son had a one of his buddies had a birthday party at a at a virtual reality place inside a mall. It was pouring rain here, so I'm expecting this place to be packed. It's the first time I've probably been in a mall, like a, in a bigger mall, probably in the last couple of years. 
and it was like a ghost town. It was like almost like it was just kind of like a little sad, a little eerie. Um, he loved his virtual reality, you know, battleground or whatever place there was with his buddies. But it was just kind of a little bit surreal to be in there. And I was like, oof, you know, I hadn't been in the, you know, I don't know. I think if you guys are looking for off-season content, like a watch-along episode where Bruce watches everything everywhere all at once <laughs> and is just giving his his live commentary on what the hell he's watching, I, I think that's like a lot, of, a lot of WTS. But Bruce, are you? It's fine that you didn't watch the selection show. You know, people are busy. But are you saying you don't care about the brackets and the tournament this year? This might be the first year I'm probably not. Like I was the guy who used to not only play in points pools, but I used to do very well in them. I've watched a decent amount of college basketball this year, probably more than I did in the last two years. But the further I get with like, and I'm not saying I'm the only parent in the world, but the further I feel like I get, you know, into our kids activities and stuff, the less time I, I like, I don't play fantasy sports because I don't feel like I have the time to devote it to doing well at it. Um, you know, with the bracket, I feel like it's a little bit of a crapshoot, but I don't, I don't know. I'm like, I'm 50, 50 on whether I wade into, into that this year. I've totally fallen off on college basketball. And, and that's like, that's just a reflection of me. It's not a, not a reflection of the, the sport or how watchable it is. Like I'm the one who just like fills out the Thursday morning bracket at the last minute. And uh, don't really, I just, I just can't watch enough hours of college basketball during the regular season. I just, don't find the time for it. I don't think I mean, you have to, though. I, I don't. Most people participating in these bracket pools haven't watched college basketball that closely, yeah. right? I just basically watch the conference tournaments, and I got my my only thing is that I don't, you know, having not. It's interesting. You haven't watched it all season. You don't like. How is Purdue one of the four best teams in the country? Well, they have a seven four, three hundred pound guy. I know, but he's like no use to the NBA right now. But he's a correct. big problem in college basketball. <laughs> I don't think they're going to go very far they're like they don't really have athletes and and he, i don't know that he's considered much of an athlete i watched duke and i guess they had a rough start to the season and it kind of affected their resume you're telling me that, that purdue's a one seed and they're a five seed i'm not a bracketologist anymore I, I you know i'm just watching for fun but um well my march madness thing is my alma mater has had made the tournament for just the second time i did fly to salt lake the first time it was a big deal this time I'm like, you know, it's old hat now, right? But they got placed in Sacramento of all sites. Is a two-hour drive, two-hour drive. You the could swing tickets it. are super cheap. So yes, I'm going up there Thursday. Okay, all right. Like, what would it take for you? Are you going to be the guy who flies up there and you're going to paint your chest W or whatever? Be with I don't know how many letters Northwestern is. What is that? Eleven. Um, um, I don't know eleven people who are going to to be able to do that, but. <laughs> Um, yeah, that was the hard part is that a lot of my college friends were prepared to, they wanted to go if it was, you know, anywhere close to Chicago and then no, they are not coming to Sacramento, but, um, worked out well for me. I can't right, go to the so Saturday. If they win though, I can't go back Saturday cause I got a softball game to coach. Okay. So nobody listens to us to hear about Northwestern basketball or, or the Oscars or the Oscars. Um, but all right, Max, we're bringing you on, not because we just want to see your handsome face, but because there's a lot of realignment chatter going on. We're in mid-March. This is around the time frame some of us were expecting this to be. Um, we should get some answers here on a lot of speculation. What do our what does our audience need to know about what's going on with the Pac-12 slash Big 12 slash 
Gonzaga. Well, and we should note Max was at the Big 12 tournament, not for the basketball, but for this. Oh, my. I I can't emphasize how little basketball I watched at the Big 12 basketball tournament. So how much much chatter did you pick up that that our audience needs to parse? Yeah, I I think um, (laughs) a lot of of conversations in Kansas City. Um, I think, like, as we reported, um, I think about 10 days ago or so, I mean, the, the, the position of the Big 12 is very clear here. Brett Yormark keeps saying the same thing publicly um, that, that Mac Rhodes said, which is uh, the Big 12's um, ready if there's an opportunity um, with, with adding Pac-12 schools. Brett Yormark made it clear um, last week that, that adding those Pac-12 schools is more of a priority right now than potentially adding Gonzaga or anybody else. I think they're very focused on um, that possibility. And, uh, um, you know, that's that's you know that publicly that's about all they can say. I think that they're like everybody else. They're sitting back and and really, um, really wondering you know what is going on with the Pac-12 deal. Where will that end up um, in terms of the money and the partners and the distribution and all that stuff? Um, I really honestly did not hear a lot of spin from Big 12 people about oh we hear it's this number, we hear it's some horrible deal or anything like that. They they don't know. They don't they don't know how this is going to shake out. We think probably there will be. Um, a little bit more clarity on this within the next two weeks. Um, I think that certainly it's pretty clear to me from the conversations that um, at this point, the targets uh, are Arizona and, and Colorado and and that um, I get the sense that those are um, the schools at, at what level, I don't know, but um, that those are the schools that maybe are a little bit more nervous about staying in the PAC 12. And I think Big 12 is going to keep trying to court them and persuade them that the future is brighter in their conference. And, um, if you can pull that off, then uh, you know maybe you have a, a, a chance at getting uh, all four of those schools that they've coveted really since Brett Yormark took over in July. So you're saying, Max, that and and you know we we reported that a week ago. You reported it um, that they've is it that they've narrowed it from four to those two, or they think like those two are the most vulnerable, and if we can get them to come over, then the others don't have a choice. I think uh, I think that those are the two that have been pretty pretty receptive uh, up to this point um, in, in having these conversations, and you know, the, the, obviously with this stuff, like the schools are going to start those conversations, and so um, you know, I think there there I think there's a belief that yeah, if those two um, are actually interested in doing this, then there's a chance to. I, I think that would probably set off a little bit a little bit of a panic for the rest, and that there would you know, be that possibility uh, of getting all four. I think Oregon and Washington is probably a different conversation entirely. Um, but yeah, I think that that's, uh, I, I don't think the focus is on on getting just two, but um, just from, from everything we've heard in our reporting for the past few weeks, it seems like um, that's, that's where the opportunity lies right now. Doesn't mean it, it's going to happen because um, I think there's just still a lot that has to shake out here. Um, on the Pac-12 side, and, and obviously, um, it's you know, I think it's it's a difficult decision. Here's That's- what's interesting to me, Bruce. If I can go real quick, um, we've always so here's what's interesting about if we say let's say that those are the two that they're focused on. Um, we realignment for all the times we follow realignment is usually almost entirely about football, right? Football drives the bus. Colorado has been one of the worst football programs in the country or power five programs in the country for two decades or not two, maybe 15 years. Right. But they have Dion now. Everybody's excited about that. Arizona, when I did the, the kind of crunching the TV numbers last summer is by far the least watched football program in the PAC 12. 
So why do you think it is that they think getting these two schools would add add value to the Big 12? I think the Arizona piece um, starts with the basketball value, to be totally That's honest. Um, yeah. I think that, that that is how they are looking at um, their position relative to the, the rest of the Power 5 leagues, that their their best advantage – I mean, they, they love what they're going to have in the Big 12 – um, you know, starting in 25 in terms of just the, the depth of the 12 um, when you add the four new members this summer and, and then Texas and Oklahoma leave. But I think that they see an opportunity in terms of trying to make up um, this revenue gap and try, trying to t- catch up in some way to the SEC and the Big Ten. They have an advantage in basketball. They have the best basketball league in, in men's basketball, and they I think they see an opportunity. Um, and I don't think Brett Yormark has been very shy about like dropping hints that that's kind of how he sees the long-term play here is trying to um, get a lot more value for what they have in basketball by, um, you know, potentially unbundling that uh, at the end of the decade and uh, trying to sell it separately. And so um, I think Arizona basketball, you know, that's just a, you know, straight up elite top 10 program. I mean, and, and that's, that's pretty clear um, in terms of why that'd be a priority for them. And then, yeah, Colorado, I mean, it's oversimplifying to say it's the Dion factor, but like, you know, um, you're, you're right. I mean, the on-field success is not there. There's there's some history of that in the big 12. There was a period under Gary Barnett where in, I think in a five-year period, they won four big 12 North titles. So it's, it's worked before in the big 12, you know, quite frankly, since they left the Big 12, um, like I, there, I remember there's a few years there right away where I just like kind of you weren't really hearing about them. They're kind of out in the wilderness a little bit in terms of the league they joined. And they did it out of, you know, stability when the uh, Big 12 was in a shaky spot. But I don't really think there's any hard feelings there with with Colorado um, if they were to want to come back into the conference. The interesting thing to me there is the timing piece of this. So, and I agree with you. You said uh, Arizona has always been a, a college basketball first school in a, in, in a conference that's really, except for UCLA, I don't feel like really tilts that way. But Arizona, a year ago, Arizona was coming off a first year under Jed Fish. They had a lot of rebuilding to do. Well, they had a really good 2022 and they've recruited well. And that program is definitely on the upswing. A year ago, you know, I think anybody looked at it, it was like Carl Durrell's program was had flatlined. And as Stu said, Colorado football has been really down for pushing two decades now. Um, and so Dion is about the only thing that has brought any life to that. Yeah, there was a year where Mike McIntyre had them yeah. playing very well. But for the most part, this program has been completely irrelevant. And I think even from a standpoint to what you just said, Max, you know, every – pretty much every school in this league with the possible exception of Utah has a natural rivalry, whether it was obviously Cal Stanford, UCLA, USC, the Arizona schools, the Oregon schools, Washington had, you know, both Wazoo and Oregon, whereas Colorado didn't really have anybody right now, you know, Nebraska is going to go they're They're staying in the big 10, but it's like, there's probably some connections there with, with Iowa state and certainly maybe to some of the other schools, they played a bunch of times um, in the past. At least there's that I get it, but to spin forward, if I am the PAC 12 or whatever is left of the PAC 12, I'm looking at going, you know what? The two biggest brands, especially as it relates to football, it's not even close. It's still Washington and Oregon. And those programs are strong right now. 
if I am George, I'm doing everything I can to cater to those athletic departments and say, look, geographically, it's not an easy fit for you guys to go play, you know, what feels like Conference USA. I'm not saying feels like the same quality product, but in terms of geographically, when you're throwing some of the schools that are in there now that are going to be in there, those are long trips to take. Right. So here, how do we make this work? We're going to make Oregon and Washington what was USC. We're going to showcase that. Um, if you, and I'll say this to both of you guys, if you were George Klyovkov, the commissioner of the Pac-12, how would you frame this going forward as the most attractive way to not just save face, but to build off a strength where it's like, okay, we may lose those two other schools and we may lose some other brands that maybe were on our radar, but maybe they're not relevant to us. You know, maybe we take San Diego state because that gives us a Southern California and they've been, and honestly, San Diego state has been really good at college basketball at times. And they've been, they've been very competitive in college football. So if you're George, what do you do going forward? If you think you may lose Colorado and, and Arizona, but you still have Utah, who's really good in football. Um, and those other two schools to cater to. I think that um, if, if Colorado, and by the way, I'm very skeptical that any of these schools are going to leave just to put that out there, but you never, never know in realignment. Um, if Colorado and Arizona were the two that left, I'm not going to say the PAC 12 wouldn't care, but put it this way. I was told by somebody who does this for a living, evaluating programs that, because those two programs are like in the low end of the viewership, like if they left the per school average would actually go up for, for the remaining schools. Now it would then go back down if they added San Diego state or whatnot. But like, I don't think those two leaving is the end of the conference, right? Oregon and Washington leaving to the big 10, if that were to happen would be the end of the conference. Now I think that because the big 10 doesn't have a commissioner right now and seems kind of rudderless, there's not really a possibility that they're going to add those schools in the next two to three months. And, you know, so I think they feel pretty good that they will sign the, the TV deal, but then it just becomes, and, and you, you know, with the big 12, right? Like, Oh, those schools almost left for Larry Scott's conference and then they stayed, but you never, you always knew like it was still a possibility they were going to leave and they did. I mean, like it, I don't think keeping the, keeping the conference together now, right, is a short-term win, but it doesn't really solve the question of if we are heading to this two super conference model, like what's going to change? Let's say they sign a five-year TV contract. What's going to change in the next five years that would make it the decision any different if they ever do get that invite, right? So to your, I don't have an easy answer to your question, Bruce. I don't know what, what really is going to, I mean, you know, we saw the conference get better on the football field last year after a really rough run. You know, if they if those programs rise up and have success, that could help their image. But the money difference is never going to change. And there's just not expansion options out there. Right. right. I mean, I'm not knocking those schools. Obviously, it'd be super meaningful to those schools, whether it's San Diego State, SMU, Mountain West members, whatever. Like, obviously, that'd be meaningful to them to get into the Pac-12. But that doesn't change the game at all. Can I ask you something? Stu, you said you said two things there. One, I would like to. I would like to weigh in on quick to me, Colorado hiring Dion. I think that will do, and I could be totally wrong on this, but I think that will do wonders for their TV numbers. 
I think Colorado for the first time in 20 plus years, no offense, Joel, but has made them really a very interesting program in a way that I don't even think they were that interesting. Like, you know, they had some good teams under Gary Barnett. Dion makes them nationally relevant in a way they have not been in a long or nationally curious. And I think you will see that reflected in TV numbers. Now, look, if they go on and they don't have offensive and defensive linemen and they go on being three and nine, that'll fizzle quick, pretty quick. But with the portal and with a lot of things, I think that's that makes that is going to change the ratings piece of this. But the second point is what you had said about, well, we think this is going to go to two, eventually to two super conferences. Like, if that is, like, do you really believe that? Because if that's the case, then everything we're talking about with the Big Big 12 is a moot point, too. So untangle that for for our audience. I mean, are you just... Are you just throwing out there because that's been like kind of a, a broader talking point? Or do you really think, you know, 20 years from now? Because I feel like 20 years from now is a long, long time. Yeah, I'm not trying to project what will happen in 20. I mean, I think what will happen is further consolidation. But I don't know that it will necessarily be. Like, I think eventually the tra- traditional conference model will blow up. It, it just doesn't make sense. Does that happen like, after 20, 20, 36? Because that's when, you know, that's whatever. That's when the happens. next. Yeah, like. Yeah. Like at some point, don't we get to a point where this is so distorted? Like if it were me, not you know, and I had the magic wand, I would say I think they need to separate college football out into its own product. And if and if you know, because like for instance, John Skipper, the former ESPN president, was on a podcast a couple weeks ago, and it was interesting because he, you know, the ACC TV deal that the ACC schools can't stand now. Like he was on the other end of it. He negotiated that for ESPN. And he said, look, if the ACC wants to make more revenue and the Pac-12 is out here trying to like survive, those two conferences should merge. And then the ACC, that would allow the ACC to blow up their contract and renegotiate it. And the ACC would suddenly have all these new, you know, households out West for the ACC network. How are they going to travel though for these sports? Well, that's, that's where, that's the thing. Like he also talked about, if I'm not mistaken, a pay-per-view Super Bowl, which like, <laughs> I don't well, know. Well, that's why, that's what I'm getting at. So it makes zero sense for, obviously, for like Oregon's cross-country team to have to go to Tallahassee, right? But if Oregon... That would be pretty what, cross-country of them, yes. <laughs> yes, it would. Good, good point. It didn't go out, it didn't there's no reason well. Oregon, <laughs> but Oregon football playing, you know, two games a year on the other side of the country is not that big a strain. So... If you know, I think there should be like, well, this is where I think the model needs to blow up. Like, let's just use one that actually has already happened. USC and UCLA. It makes even that is like, I can't believe they're doing that. I mean, I I get why they're doing it. It's much more money. You know, USC in particular feels like to win a national championship in football, we need to be making the same kind of money Alabama, Ohio State are making. But what they're doing to their other sports is just is bizarre. So, but it's helping the TV brand and it's helping look Fox. But why can't we separate them? Why can't we have, you know, play wherever you want in football, right? Go, go play whoever you want. But USC water polo should still be playing Cal and Stanford and the Arizona schools, not Rutgers. So why can't you have a football conference and then a conference for all your other sports? The financial model doesn't change. Your, your athletic department would still take the money they're making from the football product and use it to fund all their other sports. I'm talking mostly about a 
like basically for, for travel and student, you know, making it easier on the student athletes. Cause then I think all of this is a way of saying, Bruce, how do you stave off the two super conference model by making it three, <laughs> by letting two, you know, it's not going to be as good as those other conferences, but better each of those conferences as it is now are just going to be afterthoughts in the, in the national landscape. But if we can put more of those marquee programs together in football, they're going to make more money. They're going to play more nationally relevant games. Remember, we've got a 12 team playoff coming up. So some of those teams are going to be in the playoff every year, but, but I, but you can't keep making the non-revenue athletes go further and further away for their games. Before Max, you you answer, I do want to throw something out there. Like, you know, interacting with some other, especially this fall in big noon, we'd like, kind of meet some other sports teams at Big Ten schools, and they're not competing necessarily against traditional Big Ten programs. And so just as a, you know, little like snapshot of this, this is who Arizona State competed against in the Pac-12 wrestling championships. Uh, Oregon State, obviously that's Pac-12 school. Stanford, Pac-12 school. Cal Poly, not a Pac-12 school. Then Arizona State came in fourth. Number five. Little Rock, Little Rock, and number wow. six, Cal State Bakersfield. Why aren't so, they adding Little Rock in football? I don't know, but like just as a snapshot, like because some of these sports are are off our radar and not necessarily, mm-hmm. you know, like I think sometimes we don't realize that that some of these other things, other sports, and some of them like with hockey, you, you see different schools are represented in those things, so. I don't think that's what you're saying, Stu, is unthinkable because it happens right. in other sports out of necessity. Yeah, I, I think like your question is right, Bruce, of like, well, well, what does this matter? I guess if you if you like if you believe that someday ACC schools will be in the SEC, then like, what are we doing? Right. Or, or I, I get that like world. I think right now we're kind of just in that really like. A contentious time where like i think the other three leagues just figure are like looking at this and being like how do we even be number three right like <laughs> like among these three like how do we be the best of them and i think that that is how the folks in the big 12 have looked at this since since brett Yarm- yormark uh, came in and, and honestly since usc and ucla made that move is like well, we have to be aggressive we have to do things to, to best position ourselves to try to make as much money as possible because that's how everything is judged now. Um, and, and that's as we're seeing in the PAC 12, like the, the commissioner's job is being judged by how much money he's bringing home in this TV deal. And so, you know, the ACC is in this really tough spot where they are like, it feels like they're like really sidelined in all of this stuff um, until 36, which probably won't actually be the case. But like, I, if, if you're those member schools, like you're talking about revenue, uh, changing the revenue model because there's not really much else you can do here. So, yeah, I mean, I, I like I think the idea of obviously there have been moments in the past couple of years where, um, you know, there was, you know, Bob Bullsby went and met with George um, soon after he got the job to talk about whether they need to collaborate. There's been ACC Pac-12 talks in the past. Like, I think we'll continue. I don't know that a merger will end up happening someday, but like it kind of makes sense because the three of them have to figure out um, how to get to higher ground here at some point. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's so, I mean, as soon as USC and UCLA left, you know, I think within a couple of weeks, I wrote a column about what a merger would look like. And then I think it was like four days later, the Pete Dammel reported like it's off. They talked about it. They're going their separate ways. And to this day, they dispute who broke it off with whom. And so obviously, and Max and I have been 
you know, heavily involved in this. He's very connected in the Big 12. My connections are more in the Pac-12. We found ourselves teaming up a lot on these these realignment stories. And, like, these two leagues have become, like, bitter enemies over the last nine months, their commissioners in particular. And it's so counterproductive. Like, they have more in common with each other than they do, certainly, the Big Ten and the SEC. And you would think, like, it would make sense to – I'm not saying it's an easy thing, right? But, like, if you want to become stronger, you could team up. And instead, they're just waging this, like, and it's a very one-sided war, by the way. The Big 12 is trying to annex the Pac-12, while the Pac-12 is just trying to get a TV deal done. Um, you know, it's it's totally counterproductive. It really is. Uh, there aren't that many marquee programs out there that are left that the two big conferences would even want, right? Like, we figure the SEC, if, if the ACC grant of rights wasn't a thing, we assume the SEC would be interested in Florida State and Clemson. We, we think the Big Ten would be interested in Oregon, Washington, mainly so that USC and UCLA aren't on an island. And then, of course, there's Notre Dame. Beyond that, there aren't schools like it's not going to be like the SEC is going to go to 32. Like there aren't that many schools that that would even add value to them. You know, interesting one I should ask you. Bruce, and also Miami. So, just to add to that, because yeah. there's only like five that are ultra valuable in the rest of the landscape. That's kind of why everybody else has to be like making phone calls and has to be like right, right. figuring out what's out there because who, who is protecting you? Like the big 12 folks went through that in 21 of like, you know, you, you get on your calls together and you preach unity and how we're all going to be better off if we link arms and stick together. And then you get off those meetings and everybody else is calling ADs and other leagues and trying to figure out what their options are because yeah, if if the if one day the Big Ten decides they want to, you know, add Oregon and Washington, like then we're going to set off another chain reaction here. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or twenty four seven in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Bruce, where would Miami end up in all this if the grant of rights went away tomorrow? Because I don't Miami, get the sense there. It would yeah. be most viable to the Big Ten. Academically, it's a strong school. They're really good in basketball. They're obviously really, really – they've been traditionally great in baseball. At times they are, at times they aren't. I think the biggest piece here is does Mario Cristobal get Miami going again, right? Because the thing is – and people will look – at say okay their attendance numbers are usually never good their tv ratings when they're really good are as good as anybody's they do massive numbers they are a big tv draw when they're good and that matters a lot more than what the you know what some sports writer takes a picture of you know an hour before the game that you know like it's to me i think that they would be a big 10 school because of the academic part. Also, geographically, Miami is a big TV market, right? And that is just not something that the 
the Big Ten has. I watched a lot of Big Ten basketball over the last two weeks, and the commercial they have, which is a really cool, cute little animation of showing the footprint of the conference schools, basically from the Midwest all the way to Rutgers, Maryland, Penn State. And I think if you do that with Miami, it incorporates. And also, by the way, that's an East, you know, it's not like that's a much more geographically easier fit than USC and UCLA are. But now all of a sudden you're taking the Miami market with the LA market, with the Chicago market, with the Philly market, with, you know, like that's a big deal. Yeah. And Miami considers themselves an East Coast school for sure. Um, They have a lot of East Coast alums. I think you would have to find another school somewhere near them to pair them up with, but it would make sense. Um, Why don't we circle back to the here and now? Um, So like I said, you know, Max is hearing what all the big 12 people are saying. They seem optimistic that they're going to get at least a couple of these Pac-12 schools. Pac-12 people aren't talking for the most part. Um, But the one, when they do talk, it's almost like they're, it's like a different reality. You know, there are all these stories out there about how they're on the brink of implosion and nobody gives the sense that that's really true. Um, I think they think that the TV deal will get done here soon. and It'll be about the same as the big 12s. Like it won't be drastically more and it won't be drastically less. It'll probably be more, more on streaming than the big 12s, but contrary to some rumors, like they're still going to be on ESPN. Um, Maybe Colorado is a complete wild card to me. I think Dion might run the athletic department at this point, but I think the other three, as long as the money is workable, aren't going anywhere. And, and, and that's if the that's weird the thing case, with this stuff too, yeah. is like there's no okay. So like if if those schools were coming over to the Big Twelve, like there's no money to negotiate. Like I think they they would be full share. You know, be thirty one million, right? Like there's there's no like we're gonna make you some substantial offer. The exit is a very easy thing to negotiate, obviously, as we see with USC and UCLA moving on and all that. Like, it really just comes down to like, there, there's no like terms to negotiate here. Like, it's just do you do you buy the vision or not, mm-hmm. right? Like, and, and that's the, from talking to Big Twelve people, it's like they're not going to twist people's arm on this. Like, they want to add, you know, um, schools that want to be in the Big Twelve, which is obviously like kind of been the question all along, especially with like some of like the Utahs and Arizona states and some of the ones that have maybe put out statements to the contrary in the past. Like it's ultimately like do you do you buy what Brett Yormark is selling and kind of his vision for the rest of the decade here, or do you kind of stick with the the safety of of what you know? I mean, I think that people need to remember or keep in mind is the Pac twelve presidents are a very ivory tower. And you know, as much as people scoff at the notion that academics should be part of a realignment decision. I mean, it kind of is. I am not in a position to judge any big 12 schools academics, right? I'm, I'm not here to, to crap on Bruce loves to crap on some schools academics. I'm not here to do that. Oh, I don't, but I I do know. Oh no, I'm sorry. More about student alumni uh, academics, but um, no, I, I, more of a sports writer academics. That's it. Don't like, yeah, yeah. The most telling thing to me is that in 2021, after OU and Texas bolted, every one of those Big 12 schools was calling the Pac-12, right? Like, we need a, we need a life raft. And they had a chance, and I, they, did, they did talk to a couple of them. Like, it at least got a little bit along the way. And ultimately, they punted, right? They decided they didn't want to be, have any of those schools. And so the notion that two years later, after the president Wait, but decided, do, you, do you think that was a good decision at the time? Um hard to say i mean i don't think those schools would have like if let's say two years ago they'd added houston and, and tcu 
I don't think that would have had a huge I, I think at the time we're talking about TCU, Baylor, Oklahoma State. Um, who's the TCU, Baylor, Oklahoma State? Why, why am I blanking here? I mean, I guess Texas I guess, Tech. Excuse me. Yeah, I the three Texas schools of, in Oklahoma yeah. State. I mean, I guess with the benefit of the hindsight, they should have because they wouldn't feel so vulnerable right now. And also, like the one thing that conference, I mean, you know, they've they've had this existential crisis for a while now of. They're just the, the players on the West Coast are leaving, right? Like the top players on the West Coast aren't necessarily staying home anymore. So I do think it would have benefited them to get into Texas. And maybe they still will. They're, they're talking to SMU, but um, it, it was probably time for them to think a little more seriously about that. But anyway, like my point is, if you're Utah, well, let's, Utah's a whole other thing because I really think they don't want to be in a conference with BYU. Like I think the animosity there is, is too great. But Arizona State. Michael Crow's been the president there forever. He is definitely Mr. Ivory Tower. Uh, is he? Does he really want his school to be in a conference in t- with all of the schools that two years ago they didn't think were quote unquote good enough to be in the big the Pac-12? So I'm glad we're finally going to get I think some resolution here in the next couple weeks. Pac-12 presidents are meeting again next week, where um, I believe they will be presented with whatever George has has reached. Uh, and they will have to decide if if they approve it. Max, can before we let you go, I want to bring up something that's kind of tied off the news a little bit. Um, over the weekend, uh, Brent Axe, who is a who is a uh, sports talk radio host in Syracuse, and he's somebody who is like, you know, I'm definitely familiar with his work. Uh, also, there. a sports writer there. Yeah, and he works for is worked for Syracuse.com or under that umbrella. Um, he was fired by the radio station for quote negative Syracuse sports talk. Um, our buddy Dan Wetzel pointed out that Syracuse, both in football and certainly in basketball, has been down. And really, you know, his point, and I don't think he's wrong, is that Syracuse is in the wrong conference right now with the ACC. It's, you know, the Big East, as we alluded to before you know, just isn't um, an entity in terms of what it was back in the day when they were pretty, they had a, they had a football brand with Miami and Virginia tech and certainly Syracuse under, um, you know, different leadership. It was very different. Obviously with Paul Pasqualoni had it rolling and Bayheim, you know, at the last five, 10 years, Bayheim has kind of really embarrassed his legacy. Right. And now Bayheim is an, is, has ownership or part ownership of this station. So with that as a backdrop, look at the landscape of this. And do you think there are some brands who will re- who whose fans and ultimately maybe the schools themselves will have mi- ha- end up with mixed feelings of greener pastures? You mean because I went to Nebraska? Is that is that where is that your team up for here? Nebraska necessarily. You <laughs> you took it there. I mean, that that whole story is 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 baffling. The um, fact that Jim Beheim is an investor in the radio station is just unbelievable. Unbelievable. Um, you know, I mean, you I can't thought, like you can't not connect the dots of like, well, we want to have Jim Beheim on more over the next year, so Jim Beheim yeah. wants this guy gone like that. Because I I have found that weird. in general, like, name a successful sports talk radio show that does nothing but pump up the local team. I mean, when the team's struggling, that's where the callers call in to vent. Uh, but that's a whole other story. I think you make a good point, Bruce, about, you know, buyer's remorse. I do think 
I mean, look, the Big East crumbled, so I don't know what else they could have done, but but they they are a weird fit in the ACC, to say the least. The other one that comes to mind for me is West Virginia. Um, that was a really good football program in the Big East, and they've just never really gotten off the ground in the Big 12, and they're kind of a geographical outlier. Now they're going to get some more. I, don't feel like they, I, I disagree with that. I don't feel like – they've had really good teams there. I don't think that's – that's, I remember one really good team with with Will Greer. No, but they've they've had good teams. I don't feel like it's like they've never got off the ground. Um, I don't. They feel had like that. they had some steady success under Dana Holgerson. They yeah. did, leading up to yeah that big year where they almost played for the conference title. Yeah, I mean, I think if we look back on like the last decade, like beyond like Texas A and M, like who are the actual big winners? It's not that long of a list. In terms of like being a lot, I mean, I mean, and I don't, I don't, I mean, of of Power Fives moving around, I suppose, like certainly TCU and Utah, and like the ones who who have been able to make the move up have like certainly proved they belong to play at the highest level. But like, yeah, there's a lot of if it's more like I, I suppose like lateral moves, like certainly I can speak for Nebraska, like yeah, there's there's a lot of like safety and being in the Big Ten and making a lot more money um, competitively. Like, was it good know, for Colorado? Nope. I think no. it's hard to it's hard to say that it has been. By the way, I'm I'm not wrong here. West Virginia, when they were in the Big East, had four top ten teams. Since they've been in the Big Twelve, two teams that finished ranked one eighteenth and one twentieth. So um I'll tell you who I think might have buyer's remorse five years from now, Oklahoma. Um they are so used to winning twelve games and winning the conference and going to the good going to the playoff. Obviously, that didn't happen last year, but more often than not, since Bob Stoops got there, right, they've been a playoff slash BCS contender. Now you're joining a conference where there's like eight Oklahomas, <laughs> you know, like eight programs that recruit at a high level and compete for national can compete for national championships if they have the right coach. And are the how are the fans going to feel if like you having a lot more seven and fives than you used to? I, that was when that first when that news like first leaked. That was the thing I couldn't wrap my head around is like, like Texas, I get it. Oklahoma, like, just like, why would you want to give up the throne? You know, but obviously, yeah. it, it, you know, the competitive piece is, is not that high on the list of priorities these days. But like, yeah, I, I agree. I don't think Oklahoma screwed in the SEC or anything like that, but I think there's going to be a transition here. Um, and that's not to say that they've recruited poorly or anything like that. But um, yeah, it's, it's going to be a whole, whole different world for them. And I think it's probably going to take a little bit of time. And I could say the same for Texas. Yeah, I think that's, you know, like an interesting little snapshot into what Stu just said. We'll use um, Lincoln Well, Bruce, Riley. like you've been around UCLA a ton. I mean, how does UCLA, how is that going to work for them when they take on those dramatically different schedules next year? You know, it's weird because in a lot of ways, I feel like they are built like a Big Ten team now, which is different in how they operate. They're a run-heavy team. I don't necessarily, like, to me. I mean, but how did it go for Frost? trying to do the same thing, you know? Um, I think there was a, honestly, I think this, to me, it's a bigger jump to go on the SEC. If you look, and I just did this, if you look at Lincoln Riley's first year as the head coach there, he played, they played at Ohio State, which is a non-conference game, but out of that, the only teams that were in finished in the top 25, there was two other teams, TCU and Oklahoma state, you know, where it's just like, and then, 
everybody else was like a mid-level team. And, you know, the next year was, was uh, similar. Both those schools were the same. You know, it's just like, I just feel like it's such a deeper pool. Like the next year that his second year, Texas was a top 10 team and West Virginia was the only other ranked team. You know, you're just not going to face that in this new league. So what Stu's saying, I think, is a, is a very valid concern. You know, and it's now interesting because yeah. the leader behind it is the guy most people, I think, associate, and I would agree with this, as as, as good an AD as there is behind the leadership. I've been very impressed by their president and my you know personal dealings with them. So the leadership to me at Oklahoma is about as good as you probably get in college sports but man it is a seems to be a pretty big gamble that oklahoma's putting down now the saving grace is with the 12 team playoff and the six at large is you know nine and three in the sec probably gonna it's get gonna you be harder playoff. to be nine and three Stu. but it's gonna be harder to be nine and three right in terms of ucla i think a lot will depend on like we don't know yet the big 10 has not said anything about um like what's the scheduling gonna look like in the 16 right. team like are they gonna be playing a lot of Ohio State and Michigan, or are they going to be playing a lot of Iowa and Nebraska? Because I think they're going to play a lot of Iowa, games. Nebraska, Minnesota geographically. I think they're going to get one pod game from the East, which is, you know, Maryland, Rutgers, Ohio State, Penn State. Yeah, that's more manageable to me. If you're basically saying they're going to be a Big West team, a Big Ten West team, even yes. if they're not going to have those divisions anymore, and that's that's manageable. I mean, look, UCLA hasn't been all that great in the Pac-12, and now they're going to what most people consider a stronger conference, so scheduling will matter there. Um, well, Max, this has been great, um, and I think the next couple weeks you and I are going to be on high alert. Um, now that I've committed to going to the NCAA tournament on Thursday, expect that to be the day that the uh, <laughs> Pac-12 gets a TV deal done. <laughs> But yeah, uh, I'm going to be out of town next Monday, Tuesday. So it'll absolutely happen. Oh, Monday my gosh. Tuesday. That's when the yeah. Pac-12 presidents are meeting. Yep. Oh, I got oh. your back. You okay. have my right. back this Thursday. I'll have your back next Monday and Tuesday. So you guys have been on notice. You may see Stu Mandel in between Darren Ravel and Michael Wilbon with maybe he'll be the T or he'll be the W shirt off screaming. And yeah, who's, who's your celebrity media crew that I, I think Adonde is who, who, who else do who, who, who are you partying? Well, with I don't really, ha- I mean, they don't really let me into that club, but uh, you know, I, I, look, I went to Salt Lake for the first one. You're in the morning, the was, Brian Hamilton B list. And it, uh, I mean the Salt Lake, like, you know, it was historic. They'd never been to the tournament. Yes. Like it was a big deal, but it was also a little cringy. Uh, Mike Greenberg was leading the pep rally. Um, you know, I remember Rachel Nichols walked into the locker room uh, with her credential in her purple shirt. Like, I was like, even I was like, man, we, we are obnoxious. I feel <laughs> but, like you, yeah. no offense to, but I feel like you're more in like the Caddyshack half hour pool, uh, pool day with like, it's you, Brian Hamilton, Adam, like, probably Adam's not pretty serious. Adam's pretty intense. I'm not I saying thought. he's not intense. I'm just yeah. saying in terms of like, the Greenberg, um, um, you know, Wilbon crew. I feel like, I don't know. I mean, look, I didn't watch a Northwestern basketball game until like mid-February. So I can't, I mean, I'm as bandwagon as bandwagon gets. So, um, but I'm going to be is, honest with you guys today on this podcast, I learned that Northwestern's in the tournament. So pretty, <laughs> pretty excited for you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry about Nebraska missing the NIT, by the way. I think that that first round, hey, they game, got a lot better. 
They're yeah. like 500 this year, which is big improvement. They're on the right track. And John Hayes, his Penn State Nittany Lions, man, almost won the Big Ten tournament. So, all right, enough basketball for this podcast. Max, thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys. All right, Stu, let's get to the mailbag. As always, send your questions to the audiblepod at gmail.com. Stu, this first question is from Gordon in your old hometown, your former hometown, Atlanta. Dear Stu and Bruce, the Ivies are going D1, and Jeff Bezos wants his alma mater, Princeton, to win the national title in the next four years. He's going to hire a new coach and pay him $50 million per year, as well as equip him with the largest NIL budget in the country. country. If he doesn't want to win a national title by year four, it is a failure. Who should Bezos hire between the following candidates? Okay, first of all, Bob Saray really good coach. Let's not throw him entirely under the bus, but I get it. Um, you were talking about FBS head coaches. Kirby versus Saban. Yeah, well, this this gets to exactly the debates we were having last week on the – I mean, I think if it were 10 years ago, right, you would hire Saban. Five, if it were three years ago, you would hire Saban. I think if it's today for the next four years, you got to hire Kirby. No, you don't. Because he's, he's – um, he just did it. Like, if he's trying to win a national championship, Kirby just did it. He just built – a program into a national championship team. He's recruiting like no other. No, he um, isn't recruiting like no other. Saban just had the number one recruit recruiting class in the country. So don't say he's recruiting like no other. True. All right. So you're hiring Saban. I take it. I am. I'm still going with Saban. Saban, by the way, uh, grew up closer to Princeton, New Jersey than Kirby did. He has, you know, he's obviously spent more time. I feel like in the Northeast. So I'm riding with Nick Saban. Okay. Ryan day versus Jim Harbaugh. Whew. Um, I'm going to say Harbaugh because of, I mean, you said you're the one who said it last week. Like, you know, I know, although I thought Harbaugh's, you know, born on third baseline was a little over the top. It's hard to say even today, how much of Ohio state success is because of Ryan day and how much of it is because of the monster that he inherited. Michigan was definitely down when Harbaugh got there and we kind of ridden the roller coaster. He definitely had, but he's, he's built them back up. Very close, you know, I wouldn't say they've been right on the brink of a national championship, but they've at least reached the playoff. So I think it would be him. The other thing that's interesting about this is Ryan Day went to UNH, um, was it worked at You're BC. getting really hung up on the specifics. I'm not of it getting hung on it, but I mean, Princeton is still Princeton. And I think so there, but Jim Harbaugh did coach at Stanford, which is the the best academic school that plays major college football. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think that is an advantage for him there. So I would lean towards Jim Harbaugh on that. Um, Brian Kelly versus Dabo. I'm going to say Brian Kelly because Brian Kelly worked at Notre Dame. No offense to, to Clemson's academics, but is not Notre Dame. Yeah. Hard for me to see Dabo coaching in the Ivy league. Um, I, I almost wish he had left out any specific school and just said, you know, if you were hiring, if you were starting a, a D1 program today who could, and, and you had all the money in the world, because it's hard not to picture the coach then? in that particular school. So who would you take under that premise? I think if it, the, if it, this hypothetical school, well, hmm, that's a good question. I'm still Brian taking Kelly. five years and then. No, but no, no, no. But Brian Kelly versus Dabo, if you don't oh, know the schools in the Northeast is a lot tougher. Brian Kelly to me, I'm sorry, Dabo to me is going, this is a really fascinating year. Does Garrett Riley, the offensive coordinator who did a terrific job at TCU, 
does he change the trajectory for Dabo and get them kickstarted? Yeah. Um, if he does, like, I feel like we know what Brian Kelly is. He's a really, really good coach who's going to have really good teams. I don't know if he'll ever have a great team. Maybe this is the year to, to determine that because he has a lot of guys back. Um, this to me, this is like, I, I love how I, uh, Gordon kind of tied these two together. Um, mm -hmm. personality wise, they're very different, but, um, I feel like 2023 is a, I don't know if I'm using inflection point as the wrong way, but just the Garrett Riley piece with Dabo versus Brian Kelly with a loaded team with both Georgia and Alabama having to replace starting, you know, multiple year starting quarterbacks, new coordinators themselves. I feel like this is LSU's window. If Brian Kelly's going to win a national title at LSU and almost and in pretty much the last three coaches did, this is, I feel like the best chance he's going to have to do it. If it's geog geographically neutral, I got to go with Dabo for one simple reason. Dabo has won two national championships. Brian Kelly has not won a national championship. Jeff Bezos' goal here is to win a national championship. So I'm going with the two-time national championship coach. Lincoln Riley versus Luke Fickle is a um, – I'm not sure how he paired those two, but it's a really interesting contrast. If it's a wrestling match, I'm going with Luke Fickle. If it's a football game, I'm going with Lincoln Riley. I just feel like uh, – I think it'll be easier for Lincoln Riley to recruit to players to recruit because he's the, the, the most critical position is quarterbacks. Lincoln Riley has had three Heisman trophy winning quarterbacks in a really short span of time. It's also going to help you get receivers and skill guys. Um, to me, this is, I think Luke Fickle's a really good coach. I'm going Lincoln Riley here. It's tough. I, I mean, I, I could see it either way. I think I am going to go Lincoln Riley, but he's got to hire a different defensive coordinator. I was, Who's he got to hire that's going to convince you that, you know, that it's going to change? Uh, it's easy for you to say that, but it's another thing to give me somebody. It's funny because my first two names that came to mind are guys who are now head coaches, Brent, Brent Venables and, and Dave Aranda. Um, but just to be clear, like my first thought was, well, you need a defense to win a national championship. Luke Fickle has shown he has a defense. But then, you know, like Phil Parker is necessarily... a defensive coordinator, but he's also going up, you know, he's practicing against one of the most, uh, most dud style offenses. And that like, it's not an, it's not a coincidence. That you know, this is a whole other conversation, Bruce, but like, I'm looking at the top defenses from last year and it's not like the, like none of these schools have a guy who's like been there and been doing it for a long time. Like Georgia changed defense coordinators last year. Um, you know, uh, Michigan has changed defensive coordinators seemingly every every year. So, I, I, you know, the days of a Venables, Aranda, uh, like guys who are like you, like who who is the, considered the best defensive coordinator now? It's a great question. I mean, Phil Parker has been consistently very very good. But remember, going into last year, Jim Knowles was considered a Correct. terrific defensive coordinator. And Michigan and Jim Harbaugh just obliterated them. Mike Elko was another one who was very respected, who has now he's, since he's, gotten a head yeah. coaching job. Yeah. yeah. Good question. I don't know that there's a, a, a stand. Maybe, think, maybe yeah, if I, I'm giving – well, look, if he's giving him $50 million, he could just hire away a head coach, right? Like, hey, Dave Aranda, you don't make anywhere near what I can pay you at, at Princeton to be my defensive coordinator. 
Um, let's zip through the rest of these. James Franklin versus Matt Rule. I know who you're going to say. I'm going to take James Franklin. I think he's proven he can recruit at a little bit of a higher level, but I like Matt Rule a lot too. Yeah, I'm with, with you on that, James Franklin. Hugh Freeze versus Josh Heupel. Ooh, that's a good one. Um, Josh Heupel had a better year last year. I think what he's done at Tennessee has been extremely impressive. I would lean towards Hugh Freeze, but you know, a year ago I would have thought um, there's a bigger gap there, but it's gotten closer. You? Yeah, that's exactly right. It's gotten closer, but but like if Heupel were to come back and have another year like that this year at Tennessee, then he's my answer. But right now there's just a little bit longer track record of Hugh Freeze, you know, winning in that conference. Not necessarily How much of that, by the way, too, is that Josh Heupel, it felt to me, and I don't know if I want to, I don't know what you necessarily agree with me, but it, it felt to me like Josh Heupel was, was backsliding at UCF because that third year. I mean, show. everybody thought that was a completely underwhelming hire, but I, it definitely isn't anymore. Um, I'm thinking, you know, that offense that he runs is, is fantastic. I don't know that he's going to win a national championship that way, but we shall see. Um, Let's get to this one last question, Stu. Derek Johnson, It's a we mentioned Matt Rule a second ago. I, I do want you to jump in this a little bit. Bruce, Matt Rule has put a lot of effort into recruiting Nebraska legacy prospect Dylan Rayola. Uh, quarterback recruits of Dylan's stature usually do not go to programs with Nebraska's recent record. Is Rule misusing Nebraska's resources in recruiting Rayola when history suggests He's more likely to pick a recent contender. Stu, why don't you weigh in at first and I'll come on the back end of that? I don't think, no, I don't, I think he's right. I mean, I don't think Dylan Rayola is going to end up at Nebraska, but it's absolutely worth those resources for two reasons. One, if Dylan Rayola lives up to the hype, like that's a, that's a game changing, uh, you know, addition to your program. And also just the, the, and we've talked about this before, more that Jaden Rashada didn't turn into this, but the momentum that he would get in recruiting if he got Dylan Rayola to commit, you know, even if he then turns around and decommits the like three weeks before signing day um, would pay off. So no, I do not think it's a misuse of his resources. Yeah, I agree. Um, And from the people I've talked to in college coaching, they think much higher of the ability of Dylan Rayola than uh, Jaden Rashada, certainly. And I saw him at elite 11 last year. He was at, at their, um, workout out here in Southern California. He was really, really impressive. And I agree. Like if you're Matt rule swing for the fences and, there, and you yeah. do have a, a, you do have a couple of big ties to him. Why would you not take a big swing at him? If you, you know, and see where it goes and look, Matt, Matt rule has a good track record. We know he's going to have a lot of speed there because that's how he's recruited. So you never know. Yep. For people who don't know, Dylan Rayola, uh, He's in Phoenix. He's the number one prospect in this coming class, not just a quarterback, but in the whole country. And I remember hearing last summer, maybe late, maybe early fall, uh, people saying, yeah, he's better than anybody in this most recent class, which is saying something because the most recent class had Arch Manning, Dante Moore, uh, Malachi Nelson. Would you, would you agree? Do you think he's, he's like the more of the sure thing? I don't. I mean, I hate to use the term "sure thing" when it comes to quarterback um, prospects. I just think it's too much of a crapshoot. You know, but he was very impressive. I mean, he's a really big. I don't even want to say big kid. He looks like a big man. He doesn't look when he was going into his junior year. He looked like he was going into his 
you know, not even his junior year of college. He looked like he was built like an NFL quarterback. I'm curious how big he's going to get. Um, but he was just very impressive demeanor wise. Everything just was like, wow. Um, more so you, than, than any quarterback I can remember seeing in the last few years who was that age. Again, he wasn't going into his senior year. He was going into his junior year. And he just like was just very impressive, both in how he carried himself and how he looked and how he threw. If you had to guess as of today, March 13th, where do you think he ends up? Whew. Um, I don't I know. Like I realize you're not me, like a, yeah. Yeah. For me, like, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, I think if you're him, you're monitoring going, um, do I think I can beat out this kid who goes there? Cause no, I don't think anybody wants to go anywhere and just sit, you know, and you know, but like, as you said, He's been on the West Coast. I would think, you know, Lincoln Riley could have a really good pitch for him because you got all these Heisman winners. Also, I know the receiver talent that they have been bringing in and, like, they have some studs who are going to be there. You know, tons of speed that are coming in right now onto this, you know, say what you want about the defense. Like, the offense is going to be really scary for a while. So, um you know, does he go in there and think, you know what? I've seen Malachi Nelson. I think I can out. I think I can beat him out. Um, you know, because it's going to be a, it's going to be an open competition unless unless um, Caleb gets hurt this year and something you know, a big change is there. I just think that you know USC could end up being the team to beat. The twenty four seven crystal ball right now has it at fifty five point six percent for USC, thirty three point three percent for Nebraska and 11.1% for Georgia, for what it's worth. This was a fun episode. Um, it's always fun when Max comes on, but we talked about some really interesting, uh, you know, uh, not just the Big 12, Pac-12 stuff, but some of the other realignment-related aspects as well. As always, you can send your questions through the audible pod at gmail.com, and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.